This is Richie Incognito of the Buffalo Bills. You're listening to Locked On Bills, presented by Cover One. Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Bills, presented by Cover One. As always, I'm Kevin Masseri, uh, here today with Dan Lavoy. How you doing today, Dan? Doing good. How about you? Uh, doing well. Lots to talk about. A lot's going on, and it's a busy time of the year, so um, ready for an action-packed live show. Ready to get this thing going. And um, So let's let's just go to the first topic, and that's... Uh, the national media. We've been uh, getting a lot of run lately in the national media, and really not for not for good things. And I'm sure you've been following along. But um, first of all, let's start off like right at the top. You know, how do you feel about those shady trade rumors? Do you think there's anything to them? Do you think that there's people trying to reach because of the past trades, or you know, kind of what's your opinion on that so far with all that's going around with uh, Lashawn McCoy? Uh, well, I, I think it's interesting that the Bills regime was able to pull off two really huge trades with almost no warning. And that's something that's new under Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott. We did not really see that with Doug Whaley. So uh, I think if there is any chance that they trade LaShawn McCoy, it's probably going to be something that we're just not going to see coming at all. Yep. They, they really tamped down on the leaks, but I, I think any team in the league would want to have LaShawn McCoy on their team. Obviously, he's a top five running back, maybe top three. And so uh, I can totally believe when we hear that somebody like Tampa Bay is looking for the opportunity to trade for him. But uh, I think the the most kind of relevant news that we've heard so far is from John Wauro of the Associated Press, who uh, is as plugged in as any of the beat reporters, and he doesn't seem to think the Bills are at all interested. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because of our guy, Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk, uh, jumped in on this and said, according to some sources inside the news or inside of his uh, department, that the Bills aren't looking to trade LaShawn McCoy. Usually he has something pretty negative to say about us. So um, I'm going to trust that he does know someone here um, is in constant talks. And yeah, John Warrow basically uh, came out and said, unless they're going to throw the kitchen sink, I would never think that, you know, Bean and, and the Bills would entertain a LaShawn McCoy trade. doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the financial hit, we can get out of a little bit of the money, but not much. It uh, doesn't make too much sense there financially. Um, it would be purely to lose football games. I just, I don't see them uh, after the trades they've already made. I don't see them selling that to the fan base alone. Um, so even if they did get a fair return, I think it would have to be astronomical for them to even entertain that. So I thought it was a really interesting thing that picked up steam. And I think it started all from the Tampa market where the Tampa uh, reporters down there basically said, you know, Doug Martin suspended where, you know, like a really good running back away from having a really good offense. So, uh, you know the bills are doing things up there and trading and and not being too involved. So let's let's get rid of it. Let's see if we can get this guy and to the point where the bills, you know, borderline almost had to make a like they were they were closing in on having to make a statement about this. So um, I thought that that was pretty funny. Um, but you're right. I, I don't think there's any credible reports out there that are even close to the bills trading LaShawn McCoy. The only thing I saw was Brandon Albright, or Albright um, who said who did actually get the Bradford trade last year from NFL.com um, and did say that bills would entertain have fielded calls and um, you know, yeah, he's, take- he's a bit of a, a Jason LaConfera type that yeah. you know, he he's plugged in, but he also likes to throw out reports just to get ahead of people at times. Yep. So I can totally believe that uh, someone is calling the bills about, about McCoy. Sure. And uh, I think where they're at is uh, as you said, He's he's just so talented that you you can't at all sell the concept of of getting rid of him and and get a, any kind of goodwill back 
unless you were to get a really big return. And we're not talking about Kiko Alonso here. I mean, no. uh, you, you're looking at a first round pick is kind of the starting point for negotiations for a player like him. Anything else, and and it's it's just not worth trading someone of, with his elite talent. Yeah, I think it would take a top 20 pick, like a Tampa Bay first round pick, like, you know, 15 to 20 range um, was probably where they'll end up. And without that, I just I don't you've made your bed right now with LaShawn McCoy and even Tyrod Taylor to the point where at least as far as trades go and if they're healthy, I mean, you're rolling with them for until the team's O and A and you're looking at other things. But at, at this point, you, you can't trade that or you can't make those trades. There's teams that are I mean, the Bills have already. Um, it's going to be tough for people. People are already feeling jaded with their season tickets. And the last thing that they can do at this point, unless they're going to get an astronomical return um, is say, Hey, no, you don't have LaShawn McCoy. It just, even if the moves, right, it just wouldn't, it, it just doesn't make sense on a business and marketing end. And I do think that there's a little bit of that in football still with, you know, you still have Russ Brandon behind the scenes. You, you can't just make rash decisions, even if it is good for the future. So I do think that they need to, to hold on to these players and it's just bizarre how much steam it picked up this week, Dan. And, um, an- another one, you know, you know, segueing into really national reports coming out this week, and there's been a few. Uh, the next one for me is is Mike Clay coming out and saying um, that the Bills have a bottom two defense in the NFL. Uh, do you agree with this statement? Do you think that he's on the right track? He actually made an arbitrary analytical uh, document that has like every player ranked in his own form, a weird, really weird fake PFF style format where he rated the Bills edge rushing, I believe, a point two or point three and that's really low as well as he gave the bill secondary cornerbacks and safeties combined a point one um which is by far the lowest in the nfl do you, do you agree with with the, where he's going with this do you think that he's on the right track or do you think he's kind of reaching base maybe off a little last year and kind of making weird his own weird opinions do, do you do you agree with that so I, I have to admit, I'm not too familiar with uh, Mike Clay's uh, analytical projections that he's done in the past. So I, this is kind of the first one that I've taken a look at. Uh, the concept kind of makes sense. I've seen this kind of thing in baseball where they'll sure. do uh, stat uh, projections for all the players on a roster based on you know historical trends as well as uh, overall uh, how the player did in the previous year. So uh, I like the concept, but it's it's obviously a lot harder to do when you have a 53-man roster. And uh, lo- looking at some of the things, especially the defense, what stood out to me was the overall lack of pass rushing produ- uh, production that he's expecting from this team. The, the players that he had as the top sack artists, Marcel Darius and Jerry Hughes, he projected six sacks for them, yep. which... Uh, Granted, I, I don't think we're going to see 12.5 out of Lorenzo Alexander again, but there's no reason why we can't get a 10-sack player on this team. There there are too many talented players in the front seven for that to to not happen. Yeah, and and, and I yeah. agree with you fully. Like, I don't think he took any second to realize uh, what defense we were actually running here. Um, and, you know, we have some some Aaron Quinn commenting in, in the comment box. Change, team's changing team. That's actually what I was just getting to. The team is changing schemes. Absolutely. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that he considered that. I don't know that he once once again, I tweeted at him and I got him to respond. Basically, have you spent a day on the field with this team? Have you do you know what the scheme's going to look like? Are you sure you know where players are playing? Um, and he basically just said they're bad, like Bill's fans are delusional without really any real statistical evidence. Um, to why, you know, he he ranked them the way that they did. And then, you know, we had a couple people tweeted me like, well, how do you know? You know, we haven't 
we haven't been uh, we haven't even had more than two preseason games yet. Well, I stood on the field next to our our defensive coordinator. I've interviewed him. Um, I've interviewed most of our players. I've sat in different discussions. I've been on the field to watch individual drills, team drills. The defense is leaps and bounds better than any 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 time last year under Rex Ryan. Um, it fits most other than Reggie Ragland. It fits all of our players better. Um, the defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. So that alone uh, should should equal success. Um, and the linebacking court flying around to the ball. Preston Brown's having a really good year. This is this is his type of scheme. Um, you know, you, you can't really predict Jay Ajay to go for 220 yards again every uh, both games that we played them. So I I don't know where he's coming up with this. I think he's really bizarre that. He doesn't, you know, our safety plays better. I've noticed right off the bat from Jordan Poyer and Mika, Micah Hyde that uh, it, it's better than any safety combination they had on the field last year. So, oh, for sure. I mean, you think about last year we had, you know, 31-year-old Corey Graham and uh, whatever Motley crew was in line to replace Aaron Williams. Yep. The, the safeties were, were not at all good last year. I think some of the weakness uh, – comes in his his model is working off of kind of an average is the problem he's yep. he's trying to come up with what what do I think on average each of these players could do and what, where that comes in is uh, you obviously have sudden impact players who who just come out right like uh, you'll have an impact rookie uh, Zay Jones is an obvious candidate as somebody who can come in and and be a starting receiver and put up starting receivers production or at least they're hoping he can. Uh, another one would be Shaq Lawson. Like, yes, he had a, a quiet year in his rookie year, but he was still a first round pick for a reason. And he's he's the kind of player who uh, will just turn it on and just immediately start producing similar to how Vic Beasley just, you know, went from four sacks to 20 the next year. I mean, that that kind of thing can just happen in the NFL. And that's for the sure. problem when you go a little too far into the analytics is you you start trying to account for everything and and you end up not predicting anything useful. Yeah, it, it was a bizarre prediction. Like I and, and don't listen. I'm not, we're not sitting here. I don't I don't know that we are at this point saying the Bills are going to be a top five defense. I don't think anyone's have said that at this point. Could they be? Who knows? But we're also not sitting. We're also not making predictions. We're going to be top two. Um, he's making predictions. We're going to be bottom two based on really nothing. So um, yeah. it's it's bizarre. Um, and you know, Dustin Lines comments we know our players better than anyone i mean that's true i mean we do however you know i've unbiasedly sat on the sidelines and watched different schemes i've watched us play vanilla i watched us shot out both first team minnesota uh first team um baltimore or philadelphia as well right. as their second team our second defense as well against their first so the schemes there they're dropping into uh you know all, all types of different zones and confusing quarterbacks their run defense has been on point um the, the we run, run defense has been phenomenal i mean yep. all around the preseason is what it is but they've they've performed exactly where they should have been uh and and i've had really no complaints about the first team defense through two games of the preseason so i'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the regular season because this this looks good so far. Yeah, and a good point by Aaron that we shut him out from the 10 after that uh, batted after, by the way, Philadelphia sending six, seven, eight men blitzes. Um, bizarre. Um, anyways, after the blitz off the edge that got a batted ball for an interception about the nine-yard line, we let him get about four or five yards for a field goal. So that's, that's a big first test and it's just a preseason test, but it's a big thing to show that they weren't able to move the ball on the ground and sent themselves up for a third and long that they didn't convert, um, having to kick the field goal. So absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it that you'll see more of that this year. Um, and you know, Carl's in here, Carl, look, I haven't seen a playoff game since I was 11. Um, I understand your frustration with that. Um, 
but I mean, sure. Outside of the bills getting hurt in practice, which Carl, Carl asks, um, I actually think they've been healthy, so I'm not sure where we'll, we'll get well, to that I, in a little bit. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but, um, I, I don't, I, what, what do you think? Do you, do you think that this, this first team defense where, how about this? Where do you rank them? If you were to put just based on what, you know, um, and it's out of 32, where do you put the bills? So I, th- I think they're a, a top 12 defense. Okay. I think, I think they can do that. There, there are a lot of question marks still at the cornerback position. Okay. Uh, Tredavious white is a rookie. So they're asking a lot of him. Uh, Kevon Seymour uh, is going to potentially be a starter and look good at times last year, but he's had some inconsistency. I think the scheme will help with that. The fact that they're running his own scheme is going to make things a little easier to limit the big plays in the secondary. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily see a lockdown defense in this first year, but every, every indication so far is that this is going to be an above average team in, uh, in terms of their defensive play. So uh, I, I think we can think positive about this. And um, Aaron says between 12 and 16, I agree with both you and Dan there. Um, Tyler says 10 between 10 and seven. So you actually Tyler has them ranked pretty highly there. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's delusional of us to say that they'll finish 11th. Like, I don't think that that's delusional. I've spent time around how well that they've been communicating, um, how much extra time they've been uh, spending to learn the scheme, how much, how simple it is actually Leslie Frazier's ability to implement um, with head coaching experience and the talent that they have on the front seven. I'm actually fairly impressed with the talent on the front seven. That's not our weakness. It really isn't. Um, and I don't think it's, it's saying much to be saying that they're going to finish top 12. I don't think that makes us delusional. I think if we said we had a top two quarterback, that makes us delusional, but saying that we have a top 12 defense maybe makes us informed, maybe a little positive, but makes us more informed than you are. So, um, and, and leads us to the third comment that cover one, um, actually has really grinded cover one was, uh, a comment, um, that Tyrod Taylor does not fit Rick Dennison's offense. Um, very bizarre comment. Eric Turner actually wrote a great piece up on cover one right now. Go check it out on why he actually does fit Rick Dennison's offense and how he's better than some of the quarterbacks um, that Rick Dennison's used for this West Coast offense. Uh, now, Dan, how, how do you feel about that? Is, we'll talk about this one. How do you feel about that? Do you think that Tyrod Taylor is a good fit for the West Coast offense? So I, I have to agree that uh, Eric... Eric put out a great piece uh, talking about Tyrod's uh, limitations as well as w- how he can flourish in the Rick Dennison offense. And I definitely recommend everyone go to cover one and check that out. Uh, now, I think that uh, what we haven't seen in the preseason so far, and I think what we're banking on for Tyrod to fit into this scheme is the incorporation of kind of the play action and bootlegs and things that roll him out of the pocket and get him in space. Uh, Taylor can be outstanding when he gets on the move and is threatening defenses and opening up the underneath game. That's something that he can be very, very good at. Now, I I do think, though, that he struggles to fit into timing windows Mm -hmm. uh, and and to read defenses in a quick manner. And that's something that the West Coast offense is going to ask more of him than the previous offense. Anyways, absolutely. Like here, here's the big thing for me is that he does fit the scheme. 
I'm going to go right on and say this pretty loudly for anyone to reference, for anyone to check. At any point, the Bills could have walked away from Tyrod Taylor, and it was leaning that way per management. It was leaning that way to leave Tyrod Taylor behind. It was by all accounts that we did not want to hang on to Tyrod Taylor. It had leaked to the media. Um, it was almost a foregone conclusion that we were going to be looking for our next quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. Rick Dennison was hired um, as, you know, right shortly, you know, shortly. It was the last one of the last hires, but shortly after Sean McDermott and basically came in and said, I want this guy. Like, I want him, you know, give him a reasonable contract and let's keep this thing going. Um, why in the world would Rick Dennison want to pay someone $10 million a year plus bonuses? to not run his offense, to make himself look bad. He looked at the footage. He looked at the raw film. He's coached him before and said Tyrod Taylor absolutely is probably better fit in the West Coast offense. Um, I just it, – it's just not it, – it, it's just dumb to say. I mean, it's just dumb to say that he doesn't fit. Now, like you said, he misses throws in tight windows. Um, he isn't perfect, and, that, and no one's saying that. We're just saying that this could play to his strengths. And if you pull up the chart on Eric's um, uh, article up on Cover 1 – it shows you a comparison to all the recent quarterbacks that Rick Dennison's coached. And Tyrod Taylor is better in short and intermediate throws than any of the quarterbacks he's had in the previous uh, under, under him previously. So do you think that that says anything, Dan? Do you think that that shows that look, even not in a West coast offense and a similar offense under Anthony Lynn, but do you think that um, that says something that now that he's in a full scale West coast offense, not in a vanilla preseason game. And I see you, Aaron, I agree that all of a sudden after, um, after two vanilla preseason games, everyone's going to say he's not a fit and just going off the rails here. Do you think, what do you think, Dan? Do you think that he will fit this West Coast offense when all is said and done, whether it's Rick Dennison coaching it or myself? If I'm running a West Coast scheme, does that mean, do you think that he fits with these statistics that Eric's shown on uh, on his article? Yeah, so I, I think that Taylor is a great fit in the Mike Shanahan style of West Coast offense, which is uh, it's emphasizing a run game and a lot of play action a lot of uh, bootlegs, when when Taylor can get uh, the run threat in, that's the sort of West Coast offense that he can be a great uh, operator of. And and Rick Dennison is in that coaching tree. He's uh, Gary Kubiak uh, under Mike Shanahan. So those, those are the type of plays that he can run. And we haven't seen them in the preseason, but we've also heard from Dennison that he's he's kind of holding onto his cards right now and waiting until the season. So uh in theory, I think that this is the kind of thing that we can see Taylor do. Now, there was someone on Twitter today who was mentioning that the types of short routes that uh, Taylor was throwing last year under Anthony Lynn and under Greg Roman uh, were not the same routes that we're seeing today. There was more hitches and, and more comeback routes. Uh, so those those don't require as precise timing as the crossing patterns do that you see uh, in, in Dennison's offense. But I still think that Taylor can be a threat and can be an effective operator of this offense. And we've seen it at times in the training camp practices. He's he's executed against the defense. Uh, I, I really just think he he needs to kind of get comf comfortable in this, and we need to see Dennison calling the plays that work to his strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And you see a real strength for Tyrod to the short and intermediate left. Um, he's able to uh, hit, hit complete his passes there, and he's got a great quarterback rating there. Um, he needs to do a little bit better in the middle of the field, but believe it or not, He's and, and we, it, it, we do think he throws a nice deep ball, but he has struggled deep on the field and did last year. Um, however, his numbers are great. Five to uh, one to six yards down the field. I mean, he look, he's fine at dink and dunking. If that's what's called, we're going to incorporate more screens. It should only help his it should only make it go up. I do agree that crossing patterns are harder. He is going to have to be careful and make the read uh, missed on a throw last week on a blitz that you know got batted up for inter the interception last week. And 
So I do think that there is a little bit misconception that the stats might be a little bit skewed, but I, but, but for the most part, they really aren't. I do think that some of those, those throws will, will um, definitely go for his, in his favor. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just still don't know where that, why Rick Dennison would have picked the quarterback when he could have had any in the draft. Um, the answer to that is, well, there wasn't any good quarterbacks in the draft. Well, Oh, I don't know about that, but I, I think the the Bills made a conscious decision of we're going to stick with Taylor for now, see how he goes uh, when we think we can build around him, yeah. and if not, we have we have ammunition for the next year. Absolutely, and I do think that that's part of the future, but part of the current is Tyrod Taylor and see how he does play in this uh, potential um, with his potential in this West Coast offense. And lastly, we haven't been seeing any of the zone reads, any of the things that make Tyrod Taylor dynamic, any of the get, getting out of the pocket, things that make him good on the move, um, things that you know we saw in Seattle and Miami, um, things right. that he's particularly very strong at, he has been doing in the preseason. So take away anyone's strength at anything, whether it's your job, whether it's anything that you do in life, and take away the best things that you do at that. I mean, sure, I mean, you're going to show a vanilla style. You're going to struggle. Um, he's a running quarterback. He is. He, and we've been trying to sit him in the pocket, do run basic plays, and get off the field. And thus has shown, thus has shown that that's what we're doing. The injuries are staying low, and this is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to run um, these crazy zone reads right now, getting him out in space and taking hits. This is the last thing we want. Right now we're just showing a vanilla offense, um, and if people are going to blitz us, just going to take that. I mean, we're not going to sit here and, and, and get our players hurt. Yeah. Um, and with that, we're going to take a brief moment to uh, welcome our sponsors. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Geico has been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. More power to you. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. And we're back for this action-packed live show. Um, and lots of talk right now about the national media. Um, for some reason, we're a hot topic. A lot of people are talking about us negatively. Um, we're the... Like we've talked about, we're the principal of a couple of trade rumors be just because uh, Bean's willing to make a deal. You know, now all of a sudden our whole team's available for nothing, uh, apparently. So, um, you know, moving on to, you know, kind of what the Bills are doing good and positive. Um, do you think that there's been any camp standout so far? Do you think outside of your normal Jerry Hughes, Marshall Darius, who's your favorite uh, camp player so far and, and why? Well, I think everyone's, everyone's golden child has been Eddie Yarbrough. Obviously, the camp MVP in terms of rising up from the back of the depth chart to really showing off uh, in the first preseason game. He did an outstanding job, and it wasn't just uh, kind of a lucky play, but we've seen consistent uh, refined technique from the pass rusher, and that's what's been winning him one-on-one -on -one matchups. So that's great to see because the Bills sure needed some backup pass rushing. I also think someone I've been impressed by is the rookie wide receiver Brandon Riley who uh, converted a fourth down, had another first down conversion, as well as a, uh, a touchdown catch against the Eagles. Uh, I was kind of wondering, uh, he was a bit underused when he was in Nebraska as a walk-on and as someone who's mainly a special teams player, but uh, it's encouraging to see that he was starting to develop a rapport with 
the backup offense. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping that he might have a chance to stick on the roster coming into the regular season. Yeah. And to couple that, you took mine, Brandon Riley and uh, Dakeel Shorts. It's funny right, because right. Um, McDermott has mentioned both of them in his most recent uh, press conference. So I do think there's an outside chance that one or two of them make this roster. Um, and especially after the Anquan Bolden retirement move, I, I, they're two of my favorite young players on this roster. I'd hate to pass them through waivers and try to sneak them out of the practice squad. Do you think it's possible? I don't know that anyone's as desperate to claim these guys as as well as much as we would want them on our practice squad. But both of those, you know, Dakeel Shorts, Brandon Riley, both have played well, both at the top of receiving numbers for the preseason. I expect them to get in some mixes with the twos. I do think they're going to be upgraded to the twos. Um, the second, you know, maybe in the, into the second half, you do, you're going to see a little bit more of both of those players, especially with probably Matthews not playing. Uh, Butler, I don't know what's going on with him. Um, and so you're going to get a little bit, you're going to get a little bit more time for Dakeel Shorts. And hopefully, hopefully, both of them will get into some time with the ones. Um, another one you have to mention, yeah, the defensive line. I see a couple of guys tweeting about Jarrell Worthy. Absolutely. He's been one of the best oh, yeah, backup sure. players we have on this roster, and there's no doubt about it. Um, that's what makes our def- defensive line so strong, and, and, you're, and you're right. This isn't something, as we talked about in the last segment, uh, they weren't ranking our backup, Eddie Yarbrough. Uh, Jarrell Worthy. Oh, I see Davis. Yes, after Ryan Davis, absolutely another one. He's another great player in this scheme um, that we've taught we've touched on in our podcast before, as well as Adolphus Washington. Yeah, Adolphus Washington might not be a, the best number one starting defensive tackle in the league, but as a depth player, he's been fine. Um, and that's not to mention Coleman, another defensive tackle who wreaked havoc last week, and hoping to see more of him this weekend. And another one of my favorite guys that. Um, is Marquavius Lewis, who we've brought up a couple of times, that looks great as a, as an undrafted free agent. So there's depth there. Off, you know, there's there's crazy depth. Um, for for once, I can say outside of having a couple of injuries happen here, uh, there is depth on that defensive line. Sure, what do I want? Do I want you know Demarcus Ware behind Jerry Hughes? Absolutely, but that's that's not what depth. Is. Depth is having having you know replacement level players behind your starters. So that is what we do have, and I'm excited to see some of these. And they're young too. You know, Worthy's a little bit older, um, but you know, for the most part, Yarbrough, um, you know, Davis is, is is middle, you know, middle of his career. But you know, a, a lot of the other guys who will make the squad will be guys that are a little bit younger, and that you'll you'll be able to have on a rookie contract for a couple of years. So, um, I think that that's that's got to go. That's got to go notice, and a lot of chat boxes, you know, is mentioning that. So, I, I do think that that's that's. And another one I want to mention on the defensive side of the ball again, uh, Greg Maben, an undrafted, uh, you know, had a great interception last week, undrafted free agent, 6'2", converted wide receiver from Iowa. Um, he's been phenomenal. Uh, a ticky-tack uh, pass interference call at the end of the game that I didn't think was pass interference. That was a yeah, real ticky-tack. That. Um, that it, he was getting snaps with the ones when I was at practice in training camp at Fisher. So I think you need to mention, you need to shout out to Maven. You need to, sh- you need to say what it is. He should be the fifth cornerback on the fifth or sixth cornerback on this roster on a, on a cornerback unit that doesn't have any, a lot of top end talent, but to me does have a lot of good second and third cornerback options with Sharice Wright. Um, EJ Gaines is showing his versatility in the, in the zone defense. Um, I mean, you have, uh, like you said, Kevon Seymour, another one that's having a really, you know, He's missed a, you know missed some time, but he was you know designated really early by Frazier as being one of his favorite players. Um, and you know that's not even mentioned Trey White. So I mean y- you do have some talent there. Um, another one we haven't talked about is Leonard Johnson, who's just like your shoeing uh, nickel cornerback who could be an upgrade to Nikhil Roby Coleman. So I, I, I'm fine with that. Do I wish we had a like a lockdown Patrick Peterson? Absolutely. 
Um, but I do think you have to be impressed with the way that some of these cornerbacks have played, especially Maven. Um, you know, Sharice Wright has stepped in admirably. Um, and you and you had a couple of Sharice uh, Wright. Let me talk about him for a second. Go for it. Had a great pass breakup on Jordan Matthews, the one actually he got hurt on on the first play. I was standing right next to both of them, and I saw Matthews go down right in front of me. Um, and I was like, hmm, that looked like he fell weird for that play. I don't know how you how he injured his chest specifically. He must have landed directly on it. But um, Sharice Wright made a great play, great break on the ball, um, something that I was really impressed with seeing. And, and um, he's shown versatility in past Frazier defenses. So look, you have a, a, a really good four or five um, cornerbacks. I do think there's depth there. I think one thing I like to mention on all my podcasts, and you can agree or disagree with me, Dan, is people misplay depth with st- – high-end talent completely different topic completely different things to have patrick peterson to have your your top end cornerbacks in the nfl and having replacement above play replacement level players it's a big difference so the difference is if you lose a leonard johnson do you lose much by by, by throwing in Kevon seymour yeah no i i I think uh, you're getting that same general level of talent. And uh, if, if you have an elite player, they're an elite player and they're a difference maker. But if they're not, then you can kind of get by with with that same base level of talent. And all you're really looking for is not Justin Rogers. You want a guy that you can exactly. put in in a pinch and they can kind of come in, not screw up and and finish the game for you. And, and the Bills do have a lot of those players, as you mentioned, in the secondary. I think one more player that's... Uh, been an interest to me is uh, Bradley Sylvie, who's okay. the uh, second-year player out, out of Alabama. He, uh, he's actually seen a lot of time with the twos during the two preseason games we had and uh, did a great job defending a deep pass last week against the Eagles that uh, ended up being an incompletion. So I'm, I'm interested to see if the Bills uh, kind of lock him onto the roster as we come into the end of the month. Yeah, I mean – have you seen anything else specifically other than uh, anything else you've noticed about him? I, you know, I, I try to track him and I, I often, I, I can't find myself. I always get sidetracked whenever I try to go to scout him or whenever I was at camp. Do you, do you know anything else about him you could share for our listeners? Uh, well, so I'm, I'm not able to get out to camp, so I wasn't able to watch him in practice, but what he was known uh, for was uh, he was an elite athlete. Uh, the uh, one of the top uh one of the top cornerback recruits out of high school, he suffered a uh, an Achilles injury right before the draft, about 20 minutes before the Alabama Pro Day. And uh, he just completely could not get – he was not at all able to play. So his rookie season was a wash. He went undrafted. Uh, this was a kid who was timed at a 4.27 40-yard dash in February before the draft. So – He's he's six foot, 185. You're looking at kind of a kind of long and lean cornerback uh, with great speed before that injury, and he was also a big special teams player, which is another reason why I think the Bills might like to keep him around, is if he can contribute on their special teams. Yeah, uh, interesting because because of that injury, he just he ended up going undrafted, missing his rookie year. So uh, the Bills may have found somebody that's kind of a, a, a lucky find, but we'll see how he performs for the rest of the season. And before we continue the conversation, I see uh, an Eagles fan in our chat, Holly, wants to know if we'll trade LaShawn McCoy. Um, once again, I don't think there's any chance. I don't know. You've already traded. Uh, you, you've traded your second. You've traded your third. Unless you're going to come to the table with your first round pick plus 
I don't even think that conversation happens. But. Yeah, I, I don't think the Eagles have the ammunition between the trade for Ronald Darby and the trades for Carson Wentz. I don't think they have enough picks to really get him back. I, I'm sure the – I know my Eagles fan friends would love to have McCoy back in Philly, but I don't think they're able to get him back there. So I figured we'd answer your question, Holly, just because I'm sure you're really interested to hear more about Greg Maben and, and uh, <laughs> Bradley Sylvie. Um, but it, it is interesting that they both, as undrafted free agents, been flying up the depth chart, and he has been getting a lot of time with the twos, both Maben and Sylvie. Right. Um, and Marcus Sales has been in there too. So there is some depth at this cornerback position, a lot of young depth. And I think we've all made it clear to anyone listening right now that, um, yeah, Dustin, you should dig up your Maben jersey and just – Get rid of the the Y because it's M-A-B-I-N. Yep. But I don't think – look, I don't think that they've – you've got to always – so I I keep reading, and sometimes even by reporters, um, and the same reporters that that have sat next to me and been at camp next to me, I think you need to understand – and I want to say this because everyone in this chat right now is intelligent, and I want to tell you guys, depth is different than starting – high-end premium talent you don't have high-end premium talent behind your high-end premium talent that is not what depth is on an nfl roster depth is having young players such as greg mabins such as some of these players we're talking about here kevon seymour's being able to step in and start in a pinch for these guys and not having justin rogers level players Corey whites these guys that were miserable on the miserable on the field not good not good football players different than having Patrick Peterson somehow sitting behind your starting cornerbacks. That's that's not that's not what it is. You're either going to have veteran level guys like Sharice Wright, or you're going to have young players that have a lot of promise like Nabins and Sales and Sylvie. These players, Kevon Seymour. You're not gonna you're not gonna have this this upper end talent. This I, I, Janoris Jenkins behind. I, I just I don't understand why why depth is so confusing to people. But maybe because we've struggled at different areas on the field, but of it having depth in previous seasons, but I do think that that's a big note that I'd like everyone to, to, to listen into depth is completely different. And I, I, I cannot hammer that home enough on each of our live shows with that. We're going to take another brief pause before we get into the, um, before we get into the uh, Ravens game this, this weekend. Okay, Kevin, for the grand prize of $1 million, what color is the white house? Um, I know this, I know this, I know this. Um, Five seconds. Oh, switching to Geico could save you a bunch of money on car insurance? Okay. Judges? That's true, Kevin. Bill will allow it. Congratulations. You're a winner. Woo! Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. And with that, welcome back to everyone still listening. Um, you know, we're getting into the meat and potatoes portion of the show. Um, and we're going to get into, you know, I want I want to touch on this. I know I know we'll have another potted. I know uh, Eric and, uh, you know, we'll get into in depth about the, you know, positional matchups and things like that in the preseason. But, Dan, who, who do you want to see? Who, who are you looking out for now? Game, preseason game three. We know all the storylines. We know what's going on with this roster. Who's on it? Who's not? What's happened in the last two weeks? How what that Eagles game had last week? What are you looking for? And and give our listeners something to you know maybe a couple things that to take note of. Well, is it unrealistic to say I'm looking to see if Cordy Glenn or Jordan Matthews will play? I know fair, uh, fair you could, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I think it's going to be a long shot, but fair enough to know. Yeah, uh, I I think the biggest question marks left with this squad at the moment are the injured starters and when, when will they be able to return to the game and and 
can we rely on them heading into the season opener? It's it's a long shot probably for both players who did practice today. So they're they're back to practicing, but both of them, you know, are still rusty. So uh, I, I think it'll be very important if the Bills can get those guys back onto the field as soon as they can. Uh, aside from them, I, I think what I'm really looking for is uh, the third preseason game is traditionally the the game planning one. This is the one where the starters are going to play into the third quarter, possibly till the end of the third quarter, and the teams are looking to treat this like like a proper game where they're going to scheme against the opponent and try to put together a game plan and and kind of a playlist for the for the opening drives. So I want to see how is the offense schemed. Are we actually going to see some some of those West Coast plays we talked about earlier, where where Tyrod's finally executing on that, uh, and and how how do they measure up against the Ravens? Can the offensive line protect? That was a real problem against the Eagles, who do have a great defensive line, but can the offensive line continue to protect and give us time to make those passes? And uh, do we do we still see separation from the receivers? Are they able to get open and and get open for those passes? Absolutely. I mean, I think those are really good things to look out for. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot of talk right now about the offensive line. I mean, yeah, I mean, I want to see a little bit more and we can't use the excuse anymore of uh, we did in the first couple weeks and I, I would have too. like we didn't game plan. Philadelphia's throwing these blitzes at us that, you know, we, we weren't planning for. We didn't have line protection. We didn't keep blitzers in. we weren't calling audible or hot reads. We didn't have those even in our in our um, audible list. Like we didn't have to think we needed to call a hot reads. We didn't expect to be seven, eight men. And blitz and break the gentleman's agreement uh, that the Eagles broke last week yeah. against us. And we were getting them frustrated by just playing vanilla defense. Like they weren't moving the ball. So they were coming after us and, you know, we were just playing it straight up. They were sending the house and they were sending the house at Tyrod. They were sending the house at Peterman. Uh, hard to assess. It's hard to assess with uh, Chantrell Henderson, who hasn't played uh, offensive line in a year. Um, really realistically to, to get these blitzes into, I mean, he's playing left tackle for probably one of our better offensive linemen in Cordy Glenn. I mean, and I don't to, to Henderson's credit, uh, he he may have started out college as a left tackle, but he finished that career as a right tackle, and he spent the last three years in Buffalo as a right tackle. So it, it's not an easy transition to switch sides like that. So I, I have to give him some benefit of the doubt first. He has to struggle to relearn mirror image of all of his techniques. Uh, I, I, I do agree that both Minnesota and Philadelphia showed a lot of blitzes against the Bills, and uh, um, if that's their base defense, that's one thing, but that hasn't usually been the tradition in the NFL for, for teams to do that sort of thing. So Absolutely. it is understandable if the offensive line was struggling against that uh, because they're not game planning for it. So uh, hopefully in the third game that we start seeing some of these hot reads and, and protections uh, being adjusted. Yeah, absolutely. And Dustin, Dustin in chat makes a good point. Shorts, I think you mean. Shorts was throwing crazy blitzes at us. At, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, to the point where we, Eric and I talked about this on our last last show, where McDermott actually came out and said, laughed and said, that a, this is like one percent of our offense, and b, yeah, he broke like an unwritten gentleman's agreement about blitzing the pre, like break, blitzing that heavily in the preseason, where we found out statistically, Eric told us fifty percent of the time. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's the preseason. Yeah ridiculous shouldn't be happening you should allow you shouldn't be trying to hurt players um that's a direct correlation of you're trying to go after the quarterback you're trying to throw uh, fluky things in there to see if they work that's fine to an extent but you know you're only causing problems you know you're coming unblocked off the edge it's not needed um hopefully you know um and thanks jim schwartz you didn't blitz at all when you were here you still ran (laughs) a great defense but didn't blitz so it's really bizarre 
Um, so, you know, good luck to you. Hopefully that, that showed you guys something. And, and Mike Zimmer did the same thing week one. So we played two blitzing preseason teams um, in a real bizarre fashion, never scheduled these. I mean, I hope someone that's scheduling these preseason games up there is like, all right, we're going to look at the defensive coordinators um, and head coaches and see if, if they're going to just play a normal preseason game, or if they're going to blitz us left and right. Mike Zimmer's like 17 and two in the preseason now, or 16 and two in the preseason. This is why, I mean, Mike Zimmer's throwing, throwing blitzes again at us. They were head hunting at one point. Um, crew made a nice catch over the middle and got just got crushed. Like, there's no reason to do that and just got absolutely crushed right in the head and neck region. Um, bizarre. But, I mean, I'm looking at the offensive line in this game solely. I want to see, I don't, you know, you're not going to see Cordy Glenn, but I still want to see how well Deion Dawkins you're going to see at the left side. You are going to yeah. see Deion Dawkins in the left side of this game. I do think they're playing this contingency plan. I am interested to see how he does on the left side. Uh, I think McDermott was hesitant to put him on the left side because he wanted him in a full competition with Mills on the right side because he still firmly believes that Cordy Glenn's going to be fine this season. As we've seen in the past, actually, Cordy Glenn's missed two out of the last three preseasons. This will be three out of four, um, and he's been fine throughout the year. So similarly to this year, they wanted to see Dawkins at the right side where he's probably going to play and take over from Mills at some point this year, hopefully. Um, and moving him to left side, I don't want to use the word stunts, but it does to where, you know, now he's more of a contingency plan than he is in his own competition. Um, so I don't think that necessarily we wanted to do that. Um, so Deion Dawkins, I'm looking at you today or uh, Saturday, as well as the receiving core. Like I'm after, we, like we've mentioned before, Dekeel Shorts. Um, I'm after seeing Brandon Riley. Um, Matthews isn't most likely not going to play. I wouldn't think um, we have a, you know, kind of that Holly's in here saying that, uh, um, Matthews isn't a true number one. Um, I mean, he has fair numbers. I mean, I don't know, like top end number one, but he's definitely to me a back end number one with the numbers that he's put up in, in, in different offenses. So I don't know that you want him to be your premier guy, but his his numbers really do show that rather than Sammy Watkins, I mean, he's got a few less games played. He's healthier. Um, I do think he's a great, we'll say he's a, he's a very solid number two receiver. So, um, but I am interested to see what else we have on this roster. Zay Jones might be your number one. He looked great at the end of the first half last week. So I'm interested to see him now really take all the snaps. Um, Andre Holmes was mentioned today and, and I'm critical of Andre. Look, Andre Holmes is one of the most critical guys I have on this beside Colton Schmidt. Um, sorry, sorry, Colton. I just don't think you're a very good punter. <laughs> I don't think you're good. I think when you try to angle it, you punt it like 30 yards, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, Andre Holmes is the other one I've been critical of. I still can't get over the fact that he was in a pass happy offense with uh, Derek Carr and he was unable to, to crack into the top three there. Um, they have two very good receivers. I don't think Seth Roberts is anything special. Uh, Andre Holmes has struggled at times, but uh, he has been noted um, by this, by this coaching staff um, as sticking out in the last couple of weeks, the last week specifically. Um, and that is something that I wanted to see from him. And I want to see it translate now. I mean, I've heard enough about Andre Holmes. I want to see this translate in the third preseason game where he's got nothing behind him at this point that should threaten his top three receiver uh, position outside of a trade, which will end this segment in a little while on potential targets. But what do you think of Andre Holmes? Before we move on, do you, what do you think you were going to see out of him in uh, this Baltimore game? I think uh, we're asking a lot out of him. It sounds like with, with Anquan Bolden retiring, Jordan Matthews is earmarked for the slot unless the coaches have a different plan for him. So you're asking Andre Holmes to be one of your two outside starting guys. And traditionally he hasn't really produced like that in the NFL. So they're, they're hoping that he can do that. And I think the best we can ask for him is that he's a, a good red zone target. We saw some chemistry between Tyrod Taylor and Justin Hunter last year in the red zone. And 
uh, even though Hunter isn't exactly a good player, he still produced uh, plays when we needed them. So I think they're hoping kind of for the same thing. Holmes is big and he's a good athlete. So, you know, hope, hope that every now and then he can uh, find some openings or at least enough that he can make a contested catch. But uh, I'm, I'm honestly not getting my hopes up too high at this point, just based on his career production. Sure. Yeah. And I see a little bit of talk about Philly Brown in the chat. I think Philly Brown has a great chance to make the team now. He has a really good opportunity in games three and games four of the preseason to take hold of that potential fourth slash fifth wide receiving role. Has a little bit of versatility and special teams that could help him out. Maybe, maybe make the tiebreaker over someone else. Um, but absolutely, I want to see um, Philly Brown. He's one of my favorites. I thought he was a really good option for Cam Newton in the Super Bowl. He has a lot more deep end speed than people think. Um, he was a durable player. Um, he was someone that Cam Newton relied on heavily on that Super Bowl run. Um, I, I don't think he was, I do think he would have been like a top three receiver on this team last year at points. So I, it is interesting that he is, and he was always studying camp. He was always steady. He was making catches. I was never disappointed in Philly Brown. So I hope he's just done enough to make the roster because I do think that with rot, with this Rod Streeter injury, um, and Anquan retiring, I do think that that carves out of that spot. I don't think it's realistic to keep shorts and Riley. I do think we're going to try to sneak one onto the practice squad and keep the other, but I do think that Philly Brown could take that fifth or fourth, fifth receiving role. I, I just really do. He's, he's a veteran person. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He's got some speed. He's got durable hands, and he's open. I do think those are all things that will help in this West Coast offense, um, and I do think that he's been a safety valve for Cam Newton in the past. I think we'd be we'd be foolish to try to cut him at, at, his, at that minimum, too. It's not like you know Andre Holmes is getting paid, I think, even three times more than Philly Brown. So um, do you have any thoughts on Philly? Yeah, I, I think the the wide receiver depth chart is going to be one of the more interesting cut down books. We have absolutely kind of the the top two are locked in. That's Zay Jones and Jordan Matthews in some order or another. Uh, Andre Holmes is the presumed starter uh, outside, but based on his contract, and there have been discussions about uh, they could have would have considered cutting him to gain a compensatory pick. So. Uh, he's he's not guaranteed, but he has a good shot of being on the roster. Uh, Rod Streeter's a big question mark. He had one of the best training camps of any of the receivers that we've had, but with his injury, uh, it looked pretty severe at the time. They're calling him week to week, which could literally mean anything from one week to 12 weeks. So yep. uh, we, we don't know where he is. And beyond that, uh, you've got, I don't know, Brandon Tate is kind of a question mark. He's their primary return guy, so they might keep him around. But if Dakeel Schwartz or or Tredavious White or somebody steps up as their main punt returner, then maybe they decide he's expendable. And and beyond that, you've got room for maybe one or two others. So I think it's going to come down to Philly Brown or the two rookies that we have at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do I do agree with you on that. Um, I do. Rod Reader had a great camp. Um, these guys, those guys are always struggling to make the team anyways. We've saw, we've seen in past years with veteran receivers that they really need to show a lot, a lot behind the scenes, not just in preseason games. And Roger Streeter was a guy that I actually thought for once was going to make the team as compared to previous veteran receivers that were like, Oh, this guy's good. And then gets cut like Deontay Thompson. Um, but this injury should set him back. I don't, I don't see them being able to wait on it. I don't see them making him inactive for three or four weeks in the right. They can't waste a roster spot on that. I do think that, um, it, it's gotta be more weak one one or two week thing for him to make the roster than than five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But McDermott's go-to has been week to week, week to week, week to week. It's meant anything from Kevon Seymour, which has been like 10 days. He is out like seven days. 
Um, you know, Jordan Matthews, which he claimed was going to be like three or four weeks week to week meant like one or two weeks. So yeah. th there's been a big variance. Like you said, there's been a big variance in this week to week thing, but generally how I've been interpreting his week to week, just by seeing his in voice inflection is more like on the short end of it. Whenever he, whenever I hear week to week, they've been quick to cut players, by the way, anyone that has an injury, um, Kroom, Tobridge, et cetera, they've That's cut. True. Like if, if, if they don't think you're going to be ready to play preseason game three, preseason game four, you're going to get cut. Rod Streeter's, you know, got earned himself at least a week or two, um, but come cut down day in two weeks. Um, you know, actually it's even closer to like 10 days now. He needs to be healthy. If he's not healthy for week one, we, we just will not, vets are guaranteed their salary. First of all, if they make the roster, um, second of all, we will not keep him on the roster. If he can't, if he cannot suit up for week one, um, and that's contribute on all aspects. We're not going to make him inactive. We're not going to pay him his guaranteed salary at that point when it turns guaranteed um, to be out four or five weeks. I just don't see that happening. And Brandon Tate, I do think, has a spot on this roster due to the fact of his returnability. Um, he might share it with Trey. I think Taiwan Jones is actually gaining some steam. I think I don't I don't like him at all as an offensive player. Um, I don't think he's very good. Um, but I do think that he does give one of the best kick returners in the league uh, when he's healthy. Um, and he was two years ago. So I do think that you might use a running back spot on on that and then Tate. Um, so I don't think that returns an option for, you know, Ross or any of those guys to sneak on the roster. Um, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, I know you like Taiwan, man. I know you like him. I know you like him, but I, I, I firmly prefer to keep like Philly Brown on this roster as, you know, I've made pretty clear over, over keeping a guy like Taiwan. Going to take a quick pause, come back with our final segment. And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the GEICO app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you. Well, we're back for the final edition and we're just picking up back on this wide receiver talk and getting into the final thing here. This is trade options, something that I came up with a couple of or a day ago. Um, and everyone's talking about tank. I think that if the right opportunity presents itself, the bills go out and acquire a receiver. They actually go and acquire a guy that might cost them a fifth round pick. Um, and I do think that that's very plausible. I do. Um, one name that I've seen, I, I floated this name around a day or two ago, and it's Alan Hearns. Look, the next day, the next day, literally, Roto World and other reporters out of Jacksonville have said, Hearns is available for trade. Very interesting to me. Now, one thing to note, one thing to note about Hearns is everyone's like, well, he's making like eight or nine million. Yeah, he's making an eight, seven or eight million dollars against the cap this year. That's for sure. However, he has an out clause at the end of this year that we'd cost no dead cap money to get rid of him. So he signed long-term if he plays well. He wouldn't cost you a valuable asset. And you, have him and, and you have the ability to cut him if he isn't very good or doesn't come back to form. Um, that's a no-brainer to trade a fifth round. How, how, do you, how do you feel about an option like that, Dan? Yeah, uh, I mean, looking at his, his uh, salary, his contract, I totally agree that this is a great deal for the team that has him. It's, yep. it's not very cost prohibitive. Uh, I think the worst part of it is just that the deal doesn't necessarily get smaller year right. over year. You're, you're always going to be paying seven, eight, nine million dollars for the rest of his deal. But uh, the fact that there's an out clause, the fact that the bills don't have to pay out like an extended signing bonus or anything if they do have him around, 
and and you're getting obviously a productive, talented receiver. I mean, uh, there's a reason he signed a 40 million deal with with Jacksonville. So I, I absolutely agree that uh, if if the Bills are thinking right now that they need kind of that that wide receiver one or or somebody who can take the top off the defense and be a productive starter, uh, Hearns is probably the best option available to them. And, and it's and he's realistically available. I mean, they're the Jaguars just decided they're going to start Chad freaking Henny in their next preseason and said game. that they wanted to run every down if they could. Right, because because they've given up on this passing game at, at this point. So like, why not if if the opportunity's there? And and you know, there's a, there's a lot of notes on on Hearns, which is so fascinating to me. I do I do think they move them. Uh, obviously, I I can't predict where or why. Um, they have to sign, and they love Marquise Lee. Um, they have to, he's on a rookie deal. Uh, Allen Robinson, rookie deal. They have two receivers they need to sign. Getting rid of Hearns really helps them on their end. Getting a, getting an asset back, a draft pick back, only makes a lot of sense. So to me, I think it makes sense on on all ends. And and another thing to know about Hearns is it's it's actually base salary. So you're right. No team would have to can go year to year with Hearns. I mean, he's if you look at his future deal, I mean, it's you're basically signing him to a three year, twenty four million dollar deal. I mean, with no dead cap space at any point if you want to cut him. Um, expensive wide I mean but that's what receivers are getting paid in free agency look at Robert Woods look at Marvin Jones look at others um and he's on that level I see a lot of talk about look well why trade Watkins I see that in the chat box um I mean there's there's a lot of reasons a you got you fetched a second round pick and a cornerback so he's not going to cost that so I'd agree if you're going to go trade a second round pick for a receiver yeah you're right you're 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 basically just you're moving around players also um you know he signed signability signability who knows That's what Watkins is going to command is, is they traded they didn't trade Sammy Watkins they traded Sammy Watkins with one year remaining Correct. on his contract Correct. and they got a second round pick in return, which is that's huge for a receiver. Wide receivers don't normally net that kind of a return. So uh, in that respect, like they they got a good deal for one year of Sammy Watkins. and if they didn't think they were going to be able to retain him or they, they didn't want to, and that was the right move. And if you can get three years of a productive receiver and is the kind of player that you can cut him for free any year of the deal, uh, that, that, is, that is a good deal, guys. That's, that's the kind of thing you want to find in this league. Yeah, and I hate to be the guy, but 14.6 average yards, almost as good as Watkins, 19 touchdowns in his three years. Undrafted free agent, good locker room guy. See that in the chat, uh, chat box going. He is a very good, um, a very good uh, locker room guy. Played his way from nothing um, to having a big contract three years into his into his NFL career as an undrafted free agent. Um, I wouldn't call that unprecedented, but it's close. I mean, it's close to be to being that effective as an undrafted free agent on your rookie deal to being able to sign a deal of this magnitude. That doesn't happen often. That speaks value uh, volumes of his work ethic and who he is as a player. Um, Twenty two hundred yards and one hundred fifty catches. I mean, you're getting a, you're getting a lot of production out of this guy. He's missed five games, so. I mean, with the signability factor out of it, the less of an asset, um, you know, you're getting a second round pick and EJ Gaines in the trade with, with one year, one year, Sammy Watkins for a second round pick and EJ Gaines here. You're trading one year plus an option of three for a, like a fourth or a fifth round pick. Um, big difference to me, a big difference to me. It's, it's night and day you're making out ahead. You're not losing much production. I do think that beans got to get on the phone and, um, make this call and, and at least entertain if, if they're getting crazy with the asking price and they absolutely hang up but 
from all accounts, it's going to cost a mid round pick, you know, a day, a day three pick. So we don't have a sixth or seventh, nor would they accept that. But I do think a fourth or a fifth is in range. And I would make that trade. You're not going to get a better player at the fourth or fifth round uh, than Alan Hearns, especially assigned Alan Hearns. Um, it immediately makes sense to me. Uh, a couple of quick options Dorsett, Yeah. It's been floating around. Um, sure. Another, another, another guy or just on a rookie deal would cost about a fifth round pick. Um, you know, I see the potential there. He's a burner. Uh, we talked about him in depthly last time. Uh, John Brown is does have a have an illness, um, but if he checks out, could be well worth trading for um, at, at that price. And another guy I've mentioned, Minnesota, Stefan Diggs, a guy that they couldn't be moving on from uh, just due to the fact of Laquan, Laquan Treadwell playing well and a couple of other guys, Stacey Coley, a couple of other guys uh, just signed Thielen to a big deal. Um, they have a couple of guys on that roster that they could, like we discussed last time on Monday, that they could get move on from. Um, Dan, anything else? Anyone else around the league? Anything else you see that that receiver position? Yeah, I think there's there's two other names that might be kind of intriguing. Uh, what we've seen with the Bills is they've shaped their wide receiver rosters. They've gone a little bit more towards the size end of things, so six two, six three kind of guys. Uh, I think Cody Latimer, uh, the Denver Bronco, he was a former first round pick and. Uh, sorry, second round pick and has not really been productive at all in the league. Uh, but he's looked good this preseason. He's uh, had kind of some moments where he's he's moved back up the depth chart. But at the same time, he's he's entering his fourth year in, this, in the league. And I think you could get him pretty cheaply at this point. And he might Is be. He on a, what, of, do you know what he's on pay wise? Uh, he's still on his rookie deal okay. as a second year guy. So he's in his last year. He, okay. He'd probably only cost about a seventh round pick. Uh if, if the Bills wanted to add him. Uh, another another one is uh, a possibility is Sammy Coates uh, on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another, he's he's in his third year, uh, athletic, really fast, really good deep threat, uh, but just inconsistent at catching the football. And obviously the Steelers have no problem filling out their receiving group between Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant. So they're not necessarily in a hurry to have, have a backup come onto the field. And even if they were, they just drafted Juju Smith-Schuster this year, so uh, Coates might be expendable. And uh, he, again, these are these are players you're not going to get a blue chip prospect in a trade, especially if you're looking for a deal. Alan Hearns might be the exception to that rule, but I, I think if if the Bills are looking for somebody to add to their receiving group, it's going to be kind of a a tarnished prospect who's maybe athletic but just hasn't really shown it on the field. And I think Coates and uh, Cody Latimer could be two other options. Yeah, yeah Latimer is very interesting to me. He's got a lot of promise. I just never seen him capitalize on it. I mean, yeah, I and I don't I think that's been the big question with him is why is that never really happened? He certainly looked the part uh, in college. Uh, I, I guess James Hardy did, too, also out of Indiana. Uh, you think Dennison uh, would know a little bit about him? Uh, that's definitely a possibility, right? Uh, so being, being from Denver there, uh, I think he, he would at least know, is he good or not? Uh, is, is he salvageable or not? And so if he thinks so, then I definitely think Latimer would be on the target list. Yeah. Coates is interesting to me as well because of how the, the boom of Martavius Bryant and, uh, Darius Hayward Bay, the Eli Rogers, they have Justin Hunter, Juju Smith-Schuster, like you mentioned, a couple of these guys that you guys have mentioned in the chat box too, um, Justin Hunter could make the team. I do. Who knows what's going on there in Pittsburgh, and that could leave a guy like Coates eligible for trade. So, I do think there's a lot of interesting depth battles around the NFL, and the Bills should absolutely be playing in some of these. They should absolutely be picking up the phone to to, to leave out a really talented receiver um, for what you know could potentially even cost 
depending on the guy here, Latimer, maybe some of these other guys could potentially cost even less than Hearns. You know, you're talking, I mean, you're talking basically maybe next year, a 2019 seventh or sixth um, conditional right. that doesn't affect you next year. I think you got to swing the trigger to get a fourth or third or fourth receiver in here. I do think that there's no joke um, that that needs to be made. And I think it only helps your roster and you add some future and, and some depth there. Um, Tajay Sharp, he just got healthy, didn't he? Uh, I don't, I don't know too much. He, he, he's been on and off the field. So yeah, he had, um, he had kind of a decent rookie year struggled with drops and, and did get injured at one point. And uh, he's, he's kind of fallen back this preseason. What with uh, Corey Davis uh, coming in as Taewon Taylor too, and they signed Eric Decker. So he really fell down the depth chart this year. So I'm, I think he could be in a situation where the coaches are done with him and, and looking for somebody to take him on. So he could be an option too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, kind of leading us into our last segment. I don't know if you guys, um, a couple, you know, we want to get to some of these questions in here for a minute. Um, but real briefly, I want you to know a tweet I sent out earlier about the team being fairly healthy and for once being healthy and sorry, sorry, anyone listening or sorry, anyone that follows me, I'm just not superstitious. I don't think the reason someone would get hurt is because of some random, um, guy who covers the bills tweet. I'm about not wood guys. Just yeah. <laughs> if you're a knock on wood guy, please, you can knock on wood. Um, not being superstitious. I think this team is as healthy as it's been. Um, and that's an immediate uptick over years past of, of I mean, Cincinnati, Minnesota, um, these teams make the playoffs every single season or have because of how their health, not because of their exponentially better, um, their health, they're healthy. They're, they're having the least amount of IR players in the league absolutely statistically correlated to making the playoffs. It absolutely is. Um, every time there's an anomaly with like teams like Pittsburgh or others, Green Bay, who just because they have such a good offense or such a good quarterback, sure, you can defy odds, absolutely. But the 80-20 rule, um, 80% of the teams with the least amount of injuries do make the playoffs. So I do think that that's something to know. If you come into the uh, week one with very limited injuries, no one's sitting out, you've got Cordy Glenn back, you've got other back, um, you've got, you know, Matthews back, um, you got, you know, these little minor injuries with Humber and Darius and, you know, these, these little ticky tack things, you're, you're playing a full week one roster and you're getting your feet under you against a weak Jets team. So I do think that there's a little bit to be sad for being healthy. And the fact that the team's healthy this year could be the number one, um, thing that makes this year interesting. Now, could it go South quickly? Absolutely. It's not because of my tweet though, but it could go South quickly at any point, but if it doesn't or, or stays fairly normal with backup level guys getting hurt or whatever, some of these cornerbacks we've talked about that aren't much different than their backups. Um, if you're keeping your core guys, how, how do you feel about this? Do, do you think that that could be something we've never experienced so far? I, I don't really see any reason, anything going on right now that's cause for concern on the injury front. Yeah. I, I think the only one is really Cordy Glenn. It's, his his injury is just a mystery, and the more I hear about it, the more I keep thinking of the pain tolerance issue that Sammy Watkins was dealing with last year. Or he, the foot management was just a problem the whole season. So hopefully uh, Glenn's not as severe of a case for that, and the real weakness here is just the unproven depth behind him. We've got uh, Deion Dawkins is now going to be the backup left tackle for the first five games of the season just out of necessity. And then uh, if Sean Trell Henderson comes back from his suspension, he'll be the guy, but hasn't looked good so far in the preseason. And uh, beyond him, it's, you know, Michael Ola or Cameron Jefferson, maybe if he makes the team. So 
Uh, that's really it, though. Other than that, the rest of the roster is is staying strong. So all, all good things leading into the season. Yeah, absolutely. And basically, you can finish this one just off by saying depth. I do think there is depth. I'll argue anyone about it. You have Ryan Groy. You have Dawkins training at both spots. Who's better than Mills? Um, so if there's any injury there, I don't really care. If Miller goes down, if Wood goes down, you have Groy, um, who could be just as good. You have these receivers who are all better than last year to me, except for Sammy, healthy Sammy Watkins and <laughs> healthy Robert Woods. But anyone else, three through seven that we played last year, all these players are better. Um, so f- whether Philly Brown suiting up as your third or fourth guy or Andre Holmes is suiting up as your third or fourth guy, um, you know, or one of these undrafted, I even like them more than some of the players we had on the roster. I do think you're not losing much if Andre Holmes goes down and all of a sudden Philly Brown's in the game. I don't think you lose much there. Cornerback, we've talked about a nauseum. There's depth here. Outside of a major injury, maybe I'm going to go down and say Hughes, um, Darius, Kyle Williams, um, Trey White. Not really concerned at any of the linebackers. Uh, maybe Preston Brown, but not really concerned about, about that. Um, but, you know, you have the depth there. If Humber goes down, I mean – you have Hodges. You have other guys that just aren't much of a step back as they usually are. Usually, we're very top heavy. We've 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 taken a little bit of that top out of this roster, kind of brought it down here. But now here's the bottom that we've brought it up. I mean, that's that's the best way that I can that I can bring it. Our floor, our ceilings definitely gone down. Has our floor moved up? I I just don't think there's any way you can look at this this some of the back end of this roster that are going to make the roster and say that it hasn't gotten better. Um, and that plays into a role with a lot having a. The ability to face a few injuries and look if we lose some of these players i'm not that concerned because outside of some of these players we've mentioned um i'm not concerned with lashawn mccoy's another and i say what you want about tyrod taylor he's probably in the camp of the eight to ten players that if they got hurt oof. um but you, you you can't go and say that losing a, one of your you know andre holmes or 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 um John Miller or Ramon Humber or is going to kill you. So where we'll we'll even this out is if we stay healthy, first of all, second of all, being able to have guys like Deion Dawkins that can step in at either tackle spot and, and and hopefully perform um, is an upgrade to what we've had in the past. Um, And Sean Charles Henderson coming off of his suspension week five or week six after his five game suspension and Walt Powell coming off, being able to return and play receiver. You have some additional depth on this roster that you don't normally have. Um, Once again, everyone confuses. Well, Walt Powell's not Tavon Austin. Okay, absolutely not. However, that's once again, if, if he was Tavon Austin or better, a similar type of receiver, he wouldn't be fourth or fifth or sixth on the depth chart. So you can't have it both ways, right? Why would Tavon Austin be behind starting level players and how could you afford that if he was? So um, those are some things that you got to remember as you know, you're talking about injuries, you're talking about depth, you're talking about the bottom floor, definitely risen. Yeah. The top end's gone down. I mean, anything else you, you know about that, Dan? Yeah, no, I, I think we're in that similar situation and that's why it kind of seems like this team is, not quite prepped for a playoff run. I, they're they're just not going to necessarily have enough talent to overcome the top teams in their division, the top teams in their conference. But I, I think this is a solid roster, and exactly. it's one that's going to kind of hold on 
during the course of the season. And a scheme change and actually not being in the bottom two defense like we were in some categories last year. Yeah. Um, can that, only, that team was seven and nine, right? And I once again, bringing up that bottom floor, you've lost Sammy Watkins, you've lost Robert Woods, but bringing up that bottom floor, not moving, losing much else. Healthy Jonathan Williams has been great, should fill in nicely for Gillisley. A couple of backup receivers and, and some good changes on defense. That's you're already seven and nine. So yeah. that could bring it eight and eight, nine and seven. Um, last segment. Um, before we take off, we'll make this quick um, to get everyone out of here. Um, we spent all a good hour with you guys. Any question and answers in the chat box? I know we have a good amount of viewers, a good chat going on here. Um, anything else? OMG, Jefferson is horrible. I'm assuming you're talking about Cam Jefferson as the player. Yeah, he was not very good. He had to get benched and had we had to put in a number. We had to put back in um, Henderson or Mills. One of the two went back in for him yeah. at one point. Um, yeah, no, he's not. He's not a very good tackle. Uh, absolutely. So um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, we have Holmes' big deal in the red zone. Um, I'm hoping so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the biggest Andre Holmes fan, um, but he absolutely could be. He absolutely could be better than Justin Hunter. Um, what do you think, Dan? Anything? Is he think yeah, the red I, zone? The red zone style. I, if part of that's been hard to know because we haven't really gotten to the red zone during this preseason with the first string. So it'd be sure nice if, you know, White is going to come up with an interception to the goal line next week so we can take a look at how they how they perform on the goal line. Andrew um, King, we got? could you say the difference between the cover three, the Seahawks run, and the cover three McDermott runs? Wow, it's a pretty in-depth question. Yeah, I can a little bit. I can break this down. Um in my knowledge, which should be pretty good. Eric, I'm going to pass it on to Eric for you to give you more of an in-depth answer there, um, as this is definitely his specialty. But, um, you know, the cover three that Seattle will run will be a little bit more aggressive, will be a little bit more man zone. Um, you know, they'll, they'll run a little bit more over, um, and they're very, very aggressive. They're very aggressive with their secondary. Um, a lot of them will drop into their zones, but at the same time in their cover three zones, they'll cover, run more of a cover uh, cover man where, you know, there might be manning them up at the line. They might be running a linebacker on them. Um, not everyone's in um, a true zone positioning um, with the Seahawks. The Bills are going to run a little bit more solid standard cover three. Um, and everyone's going to drop back into a zone. They're not going to jam them as much on the line. They're not going to rely on as much one-on-one Richard Sherman um, talents. They're going to have a little bit more coverage um, and not leave as many zone islands, we like to call them. Um, Dan, you have anything on that? Or Yeah, I would yeah. say the Seahawks scheme is more press and bail. Yep. So you're going to see, the as you were saying, the cornerbacks – do they're right up on the line of scrimmage. They're going to jam up the receivers and then drop back into their coverage. Uh, you're not going to see that nearly as much as in McDermott's. There's more off coverage. Yep. Uh, also, the defensive line is just structured a little bit more differently. The Seahawks will use like a true nose tackle as well as like a true five technique defensive end. Uh, it's, it's like you said, it's more of an over defense, uh, whereas the Bills uh, are – uh, structured more towards a traditional four, three for the majority of their snaps. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I had to look it up. I saw the bills and when I was at camp a little bit more in a four, three under. Um, yeah. Uh, they will bring uh, Lorenzo Alexander up to the line and run the run an under front. They've done that on a few snaps in each of the games so far. Yeah, absolutely. It's an int- very interesting formation that adds help in the run department and adds some, some free pass rushing when you're in the four, three under leads you a little bit vo- zone, uh, vulnerable in some of your cover three zones, more of a cover two. Um, but it will leave you a little bit vulnerable there uh, for something out in the flat. But Lorenzo Alexander can absolutely play that. Um, 
Seahawks run more of a cover one, cover three pattern matching Nick Saban type D. Um, yeah. Once again, without like, I've watched the Seahawks defense when I can without going too in depth with the Seahawks do. Yeah. They do a lot of pattern matching. Um, and yeah, they, they do rely on physicality and jamming at the line and they, they like to bail. So, um, absolutely. Um, have you seen Eric Wood struggling past pro or just the Eagles game? Um, it's tough to I tell think, at camp. I think so. I yeah. think he's, he struggles to anchor yeah. against you. You look at, uh, if there's a strong uh, guy with a low center of gravity, Wood does get pushed back in the pocket. He's, he's reliable against techniques. He does a great job of hand fighting and kind of not getting just blown up off the line, but uh, he can get pushed back in the pocket, and it, and it can cause issues against yeah. really good defensive tackles. And I said this with Eric. Um, yeah, Fletcher Cox is also really good, Matt. I mean, absolutely. I said this. I think he, you know, Linville Joseph and a co- I mean, you had you played two good defensive lines. Um, sure. I mean, you're you're in a vanilla style protection scheme. Not too worried yet. I, I, Baltimore doesn't quite scare me as much with their injuries, um, and Detroit won't either. So we're we're going to see what happens in the next couple of games here to see. But once again, Eric Woods, absolutely another guy who's going to be in this leadership council that McDermott came out with today. So I do think he's secure. He's safe. Um, I do think Ryan Groy is a very good backup, uh, one of the best in the league, backup center offensive guards. So I do think we have a contingency plan there as well as uh, Glenn, which we haven't had in the past. So um, who's going to be your starting quarterback by the end of the season? Well, that's kind of tricky. Uh, I'm going to go with Tyrod Taylor. I don't think he gets hurt. I don't think he gets hurt, and we're going to run him out. I think we're going to run him. Uh, I think we're going to run him into the season regardless of how it goes. Um, it'd have to be real bad to bring in Peterman at any point this year, in my opinion. How about how about you, Dan? Uh, so I, I don't think Taylor starts all 16 games. Okay. Uh, he, it's, he's has a tendency to occasionally get dinged up and okay. happen. So I, I don't think he's going to play so poorly that he's just going to get outright benched. But I think we'll see Peterman play for one or two games. I do, though think that at the end of the year, you're going to still see Ty- Taylor as the guy at the end of the season. Yep. Glenn central on suspension. So does that mean we see Mills, uh, Dion and Mills? Yeah, that's a contingency plan. That's the one that McDermott wasn't too interested in going to, but we we're doing it in case we have to, um, in case Cordy can't suit up week one Henderson's obviously suspended. So yeah, I mean, um, that would be, that would be the way to go. It would be, uh, Dion on the left and Mills on the right. So, uh, which pretty much wills Michael Ola onto the roster as a right tackle, right guard, op- left guard option, who I actually like. So um, let's see what else we got here. Ragland is a square peg in a round hole coming off injury. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I think you're right. I think he's trying. Leslie Frazier just came out this today and said, we still want to see more out of him. You know, he's still, you know, not reacting well. Eric actually had a really good tweet where Ragland actually just like ran to a random spot that was like completely incorrect, um, taking into someone else's zone. Um, so yeah, Ragland, Ragland's struggling. Um, he's been asked four or five times about getting traded now in, in interviews. And I mean, it's realistic. It'd be more of a player for player trade in my opinion. I don't think we'll dish him for a sixth round pick. Um, I do think we would want to add someone on the roster who would add depth today especially with all the draft picks we already do have. You can only keep so many draft picks. Um, adding a six-round pick doesn't make sense. Adding someone that could help today, like a Dorsett, John Brown, guys we've already mentioned a little bit of, uh, it, it is it is realistic. Um, why is he struggling? Any differences between 3-4 inside linebacker and 4-3 linebacker? Do you want to attack that one, Dan? Sure. So when, when Ragland was playing at Alabama, 
they were using him as kind of a, a downhill gap filling guy. He was often taking on linemen directly and his job was kind of uh, open up space for the weak side linebacker to come in and make a play uh, in the McDermott's uh, defense. Raglan is doing a lot more of covering zones and dropping out uh, and, and he's not really taking on the blocks that he's accustomed to. He's, he's being asked to do a different role than he did in college, as well as a different role than he would have been doing under Rex Ryan. And uh, it's, it's just, it's new to him. And it's also not his style. Uh, the, the thing that made Raglan such a top pick was just his ability to just blow up the run and really kind of steal the middle of the field. And he had enough athleticism to get outside and, and shut down plays towards the sidelines. But you were never going to ask him to be kind of that, uh, that Brian Urlacher or Luke Keekley type uh, middle linebacker who does everything. He's always kind of, uh, he's not, he wasn't as limited as a Brandon Spikes, but you know, you're, that's kind of what you were getting in terms of style. And uh, some of, some of that's just the injury affecting him. Some of that's also just uh, not being familiar with the game, having, you know, spent a year and a half away from it. But so far, yeah, it's it's been an adjustment period. Um, Matt follows it up with saying, "Is it's still not filling gaps and dropping into zones? Um, does Indy run a three four where Raglan would fit better? Yeah, they do for the Dorset trade. Uh, but um, would so Matt so I would say uh, with with Ragland, uh in a three four right? You have you have two inside linebackers as well as one of your outside linebackers is kind of a a pseudo coverage, uh, they're on the tight end and they're, they're kind of, they'll rush the passer or they might drop into coverage on there. Um, there's, there are more bodies in the middle because the, the linemen are covering two gaps in a traditional three, four. So the linemen are taking on multiple blocks. Uh, the linebacker also can take on a block. And, uh, that means you have, uh, when you're asking that linebacker to take on that role, He's he's just doing it more often than in a four three where you're asking them to cover more space, and so so that's what Ragland was doing in college was he's he was being asked to cover multiple gaps more often in the running game, and so it's it's just it's a different uh, concept that is, is new to him in in the pros. So that's Absolutely. really been his issue. Keeping on the linebackers, taking just a few more just one or two more questions here. Um, I don't, well, first, uh, Huggy comes in and says, "I don't think Raglan is 100% healthy. I don't trade. I'm going to take time to learn this D." Yeah, coupling on what we what we've said here, um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I want to give up on him yet. If we return a player such as a Dorsat or someone similar in a different position category, I think maybe you can trade some of that linebacker depth to get uh, kind of fill a hole we have. Um, so I do think that that is the only reason. I don't. I absolutely, like I've said a little bit earlier, I absolutely don't trade him for a six round pick, fifth round pick. I don't. I just. I'd rather keep him for now. Um, staying on the linebackers, though, Eric wants to know about the str- Milano struggles. Interesting. Uh, I have noted this. Eric likes Milano. Um, pointing out a couple of plays where he's been getting um, knocked for not being in the right place. That wasn't actually his zone. So um, Eric Eric feels he's been playing well. But I, I actually agree. Um, I've, I, I, the missed tackles kill me. Um has it been finishing tacklings like we saw again in Minnesota? He seems to get the scheme. Um, yeah, I think he's just young. Um, I think he's struggling to fully uh, transition at this point, but I do think he could. 
Um, I've seen some good things out of him, but I would like to see a little bit more. I did, I did expect him to see more of him in sub package. Um, and I think you could by the end of the season. So yeah, it's just for a little recognition on his end, learning the playbook, um, needs to make, needs to perform, needs to make those tackles. He just, um, but he is, he is need to learn how to play a little bit more of that, you know, that drop cover, uh, coverage that he needs to learn. Um, Fred Frazier mentioned today's ACL can take 18 months and he isn't fully healthy. Hmm, interesting. Um, true. I do think it's interesting. I think it's shorter today about ACL injury uh, repair. I mean, you can get back in like nine to 11 months now. So um, sure. I guess it could take up to 18 months. Um, and by all accounts, actually, and I had some good authority from someone inside the building that uh, Raglan actually wasn't putting in much work throughout his rehab, did have a shoulder surgery as well. Um, I mean, he just wasn't watching his nutrition. Um, so I do think that's probably more of the 18 months that could be more, rather than just his knee. So um, I don't think he rehabbed particularly well. Um, yeah, it should be pointed out that Ragland had a, uh, a weight clause in his contract, similar to Eddie Lacy's new contract, where uh, he would get a bonus if he was playing at under 250 pounds. So uh, the weight control has been an issue with him since he joined the league. And so we're right now it hasn't been an issue. He made his way at the first time, but the fact yep. that they had that in the contract kind of is a signal of something there. Uh, I also want to touch on uh, the question about the, the other Alabama linebackers. So when, uh, when Raglan played, he, he was playing on the field at the same time as Reuben Foster, who uh, just got drafted this past year. Uh, and, and you can kind of think uh, both CJ Mosley and Reuben Foster, these are like six to 230 pound guys. They're they're more in the mold of a, a do everything uh, all around coverage linebacker who can who can contribute a ton of tackles, break up uh, tackles for loss in the running game, but can also break up passes. Uh, so Raglan's job on the field was to open up space for those types of players to work and for them to make tackles. So he was the guy taking on the blocks, twenty pounds heavier. Uh, you know, bring uh, cutting runners to the inside so that they could be swallowed up by the tackles for a guy like Reuben Foster. So uh, he was he's kind of the, the glamour guy, and Ragland was the the pail and the shovel kind of guy. So that's just his role on the team that he's been to at this point. Absolutely, and we can we can talk about the linebackers who are blue in the face. But we'll take uh, we'll take this one question from Jen. Um, how has um, Mika Hyde and Jordan Poyer looked? Um, great. I mean, both of them have been noted by, uh, McDermott. Both of them are a huge step up from what we put on the field. As long as you stay, they stay healthy. I'm very, very, very encouraged by the play of safety. And it's going to be drastically better than last year, as long as they're both on the field. Um, that's even without some of the, you know, we signed Rambo in the off season to kind of be a depth piece. Um, we do have a little bit, we've been liking a little bit of what we've seen from Powell. Um, so, that's my opinion. I, I, I just talking to to Sean McDermott, to safety play has been actually a surprise. One one thing that I thought we'd be the worst at um, because of depth and others. So this is different than the defense uh, cornerback, where we do have a lot of replacement level guys that we don't hear. So Poyer and High need to play at a high level, and they have been. Um, I'm very encouraged by both of them, and I do think this, the play of safety is definitely more encouraging than the 0.0 Clay gave us in his like analysis. So Dan, any anything to add at safety or anyone behind these two guys? Yeah, I, I think both Hyde and Poyer have so far been just great uh, in in the preseason. We've we've seen them make a couple plays uh, already, so I'm happy with that. And it's you know ten times better than what we had up till this point uh, last year. So 
Uh, behind them, the player that interests me the most is Trey Elston, who's had an, a couple of nice pass breakups. He had another one that got, was a ticky-tack pass interference. Um, he's had some really nice hard tackles. So I think he's a guy that the coaches are going to be impressed by, and he'll be one of the primary backups just because, as you said, the, there's not really depth there. But he looks like a player who can have some upside, at least as kind of a, a sub-package type player. I agree. I, I like Elson a lot. I, he was, I was very encouraged when we signed him off waivers. Um, so he, you know, from Cleveland. So he was one of my favorite guys to uh, get in there and, and claim. I do think that was a need. Rambo hasn't seen the field. Just like Streeter, he needs to get on the field like ASAP. I mean, to make this roster, I don't care. I don't care how weak it is. They're going to keep a guy like Powell and Gary and um, Alston over him if he doesn't. And Cole Anderson, I mean, he's going to make this team as a fourth safety slash special teamer, but he needs to step on the field too. So between the two of them, we need to get a player out of that, hopefully Rambo. Um, and I, I do really, really, really like the starting unit. And I think that Elston makes this roster. Powell's another guy. Gary's another guy. I do think there's some names here. PT Sanders has been good in practice. Um, and Adrian McDonald, the guy we just signed, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see play too. So there is some replacement level talent here, but not as much as we've been talking about at other positions. So if... Poyer and Hyde stay healthy. It's a really good unit. Final question from Huggy of the night. Who starts opposite of White? Um, I think Gaines does. Dan? Yeah, I agree. Okay. So between then Leonard Johnson's your nickel, you'll have Kevon Seymour coming in at any of those three spots if anything happens. Um, and Sharice right there as well. So it's it's a fairly okay unit. It's an okay unit, lacking a little bit of that high-end talent. But this is Cover One, the Lockdown Bills podcast presented by Cover One. Um, I'm Kevin Masseri. Dan, tell us, tell everyone where we can find you um, and anything you're working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm Dan Lavoy. I'm also a writer and editor over at buffalorumblings.com. We're on the SB Nation network. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Dan R. Lavoy. Uh, it's been great being on the show with you. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for coming out. It was a long show today. Lots of action-packed stuff. We'll be on for a pregame show. Uh, I believe we're going to have it Friday. Uh, Eric Turner um, was going to be on that. And then we'll have our live reaction Sunday, start talking about more. After this third preseason game, we'll start talking about who's going to make this roster, start honing in on this 53. Up until two, uh, Thursday of next week will be the final preseason game. And we'll get live reactions then to start talking about exactly who we think, what's going to happen, where. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Appreciate all the followers, all the questions. Uh, at Kevin Misery, at cover underscore one. Um, you know where to find us. And thanks for tuning in to Locked On Bills, presented by Cover One.